Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week we're continuing our Advent series and we are talking about the theme of love. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. So I am Richard and I'm here with Shelby and with Weston. Hi hey. everyone. Hey everyone. You haven't been on for a while. Actually, yeah, it's a really been a long bit. time. Uh, I was starting to get worried that you weren't asking me back, but I'm, yeah. I'm good, I'm here. Oh, we'll have to check back. Maybe there was some heresy <laughs> previous episode, something like that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're not the first one either. Like I'm sure all sorts of nonsense has come out. But it's Advent time and we are on the cusp of Christmas week. So mm-hmm. this is our third Friday and we're wrapping up. The theme we've been looking at is love. So we've done hope and we've done peace. And if you miss those, go back and check. Mm-hmm. And we, we introduced Advent and talked about how the advent we kind of tell the christmas story but that narrative is a microcosm of the gospel story mm-hmm. and so these themes of uh you know different church traditions sometimes have some different ones in the mix but mm-hmm. sometimes faith you know we haven't done yes but you're that's right. in there as well faith hope love um and so they're christian virtues and sometimes we focus on oh, you know, this is a call to be a good Christian. Mm. But actually, there's some storytelling going on that invites us to sort of, I don't know, take our year, put it under put it under the microscope. It's not really the right analogy, mm. but just like hold another storyline over it and be like, yeah, hang on. What's going on? Yeah, mm-hmm. What's this about? You know, and so, yeah, it's a really, really sweet time. And yeah, theme today is love. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually going to start with a dramatic reading. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, Weston's going to read something. And no, then I thought better. of Joey and Friends doing the dramatic <laughs> reading. So, but yeah, tell us about this. Because yeah, you, so you said, you said, oh, have you guys read this? Yeah, and this so is all one of our favorite Bibles. It is. It's one of one of the, the Bibles that I often look back to and read back over. Um, it's not a translation you might recognize. Uh, it's the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it was Woo-hoo! actually given to our kids first. Yep. <laughs> and I started reading it to them at night, and I'm like, hold on a second. And I found myself several times going back to it and reading things over. Actually, one of my favorite retelling or pictures of the book of Isaiah is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. So cool. But this is a um, their retelling of Luke, Luke chapter uh, 1 and 2. It's just a quick, um, quick clip, and I just want to read this to start off title is he's here everything was ready the moment god had been waiting for was here at last god was coming to help his people just as he promised in the beginning but how would he come what would he be like what would he do mountains would have bowed down seas would have roared trees would have clapped their hands but the earth held its breath as silent as snow falling he came in and when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. Man, I love that. That mm-hmm. is so good. So beautiful. And that, that Bible, it, you know, like you say, never mind for kids, but for adults too. It just yeah. does such a great job of showing how everything that's come before Luke 1, well, or Matthew, or right. the, the beginning <laughs> of the Gospels, it's just like building this like yeah. 
God's going to come, God's going to come, God's yeah. going to come. And that it is this, because we tend to focus on the cross as the climactic moment. And mm-hmm. it is because it's the culmination. But in the same way, like we might read um, the book of Exodus and get goosebumps when Moses is at the burning bush. Mm-hmm. And be like, well, actually, the Red Sea's the climax. Mm-hmm. But in a sense, it's like, oh, like this it's different from this moment yes. on. It's different. And that's, yeah, that's Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does just breathe all of the tensions that have built up to this moment. Mm-hmm. Like they get redirected. They're not all, they all go away. But yeah, all of that momentum then spills with this hopeful energy. Yeah. Into what comes next. Yeah. I love how on that, in that reading, how it talks about it was God's plan from the beginning. Like this is like just as he promised. And when you look at like even uh, John, John's retelling, in the beginning was the word. I mean, the word being Jesus, right? In the beginning was the word Mm -hmm. and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it walks all the way through. um, In him was the light and um, how light shines in the dark places, how the word becomes flesh and makes its dwelling among us. Like just that, that preparation. And if that was probably a word that I would use in thinking about this idea of love, especially during Advent and Christmas time, it would be this idea of preparation. Mm. The work that God had to do or God got to do or God lovingly did, however you want to say that, from the beginning of time to the moment when when the word became flesh mm. and dwelt among us, the preparation that it, that he did to write the story of Jesus coming. It's one of my favorite aspects of, of yeah. this. Yeah. It's such a, I love that you're zooming in on that word preparation. Cause I don't think we think about it a lot when we think about the love of God, but we experience this in all of our relationships. Like I think about even the surfacey parts of this year, when it comes to gift giving, some of the best ones are the ones that someone thought through. Yeah. They've been thinking through, or yeah. just like, I think my, my relationship with Jordan, this was a big thing when we were, first married is the difference between, Hey babe, where do you want to go to dinner tonight versus, Hey, let's go to dinner Friday. I've already got a reservation. Can't wait. Like that's two different things. Two different conversations. And one feels really different. And so I love that idea of like part of the love that we see in this time of year is the backstory, right? The amount of time and thought um, that went into this story that we are unpacking in this season. And it, like God's building with this an, like anticipation to yeah. accomplish this good thing. But the interesting thing on the other side, like you've got all the human characters in the story and they're building, but maybe like with apprehension mm. or uncertainty, right? Because God coming arrives in a hot mess of stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that was like just before we started, Shelby, you were thinking of like characters you think of in the story and oh, how yeah. they'd be feeling about, you know... I mean, it's a classic thing. Like if like, oh, if someone's like, oh, Jesus is just like, he's just walked in the building. <laughs> Would you run out to see or hide in the closet? Like, you know, like exactly how are we supposed to feel about God showing up? Right. And- I mean, if I was to pick the time in history for God to show up, for Jesus to show up on the scene, that would have been maybe not in the top 10. Yeah. Because yeah. it was, there was so much tension going on at the time. Like there was so much craziness happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it just seemed like the, the, it wasn't the best timing from our point of view, but as we know, it's, it's yeah. perfect. So who we like? Who comes to mind for you, Shelby? Yeah, I mean, I always first think about the shepherds, right, and how this story is one of the best because it brings um, people that wouldn't normally find themselves in the same room together. So you've got the shepherds who are like the lowest of the lows, looked down on, like they're 
yeah, they're nothing when it comes to how they viewed class and all of that different thing. And so you've got shepherds, you've got Mary and Joseph and wise men and kings and like all these people that wouldn't normally find themselves together are being brought yeah. together, which is just fascinating. Let, let's unpack each one a little bit. Yeah. just Because oh, I, I feel like we probably for all of us will find a little bit of, I don't know, ourselves reflected in, in some sure. of them, right? Yeah. So shepherds. Mm-hmm. So if you're a shepherd, you're a bit of a Jewish billionomates. Mm-hmm. You're going to be most of the time because of your work ceremony like the unclean. Yeah. So you don't get full participation in civil or religious life. Mm-hmm. You've got a reputation, which if you've watched The Chosen, you know, like the fishermen are like mm-hmm. so the good. dastardly, yeah. you know, kind of like, yeah, shepherd, not so trusted, mm-hmm. you know. And just geographically, you're kind of ostracized from society. You right. spend all your time like away from yep. family and community and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'd be really easy for people to feel pushed aside, unnoticed, mm-hmm. like what they do doesn't matter, Yeah, you know, things like that. Um, and so, I mean, I, I don't know. We just don't know. But it's really easy for that story to help us imagine our way into those moments mm. of like, yeah, but like we've got to care about me. Right. Absolutely. Like surely there's all this other more important stuff yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. And then for the heavenly host to appear on a hillside yep. and be like, hey, we've all showed up to have a party mm-hmm. and announce some good news. And we're not at the temple. Right. We're not in the middle of town. We're not in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. We're here on a hillside with you. Yeah. And you mentioned something about the shepherds as they weren't the most trusted of people. And so how intentional that God's like, the angels are going to show up to these people and I'm going to tell them what's yeah. up and where to go. Like, Pick your witnesses. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's such a beautiful window into the heart of God that like you said, for those who maybe are even listening and you feel like, does God really see me? Let this part of the story be a reminder that God was intentional in choosing to show up to them with this news. And it's a way of like cosmically saying, I do see you, even though the world might not want to ascribe purpose or value by whatever their metric is. Like that's not my metric. It's totally different. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Now, Jesus did that throughout his whole life, though, too. Turned on the head what culture right. thought about people, whether it's the way that he interacted with women, the way that he interacted with the outcast, the way that he... I just love that. And it started that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like strategically, from a certain point of view, it doesn't make any sense. Like this, this like Jesus, God, you want to announce your arrival? This is man. You need to get a yeah. different PR manager. Yeah. This is not good, right? <laughs> right. And so I think like the only way strategically it makes sense if is like one of God's primary motivations here is to affirm a set of people mm-hmm. and by affirming those affirm like the marginalized yes. generally because mm-hmm. they, they what a life-changing experience mm-hmm. for these shepherds you know yeah yeah, yeah. Like, never going to think about god the same way again like in yeah. every movie when like the gods visit earth like you know marvel's thor you know mm. <laughs> he get you know drops down to earth and then yeah there's like romantic comedy and action and like but it just happened that he was right. in that town and met whatever the woman right. you know scientist you know yeah. but to, for it to actually be picked you know mm-hmm. like i chose you yeah there's something about i chose you and love there's yeah. just this profound connection mm. 
right? Yeah. Like like date night's not going to go well. Like, oh, you know, I'm just so happy that, you know, just like accidentally we ended up together. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's that's some lowball affirmation right there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that worked out. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad it was like, we seem to be doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it it doesn't, there's there's no confidence in the prospects of the relationship. But for God to come to these shepherds, yeah. it's just like, hey, guys, I'm putting all my stock in you. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think it's this really unique invitation in this season to reflect on how we love. Right. Because this example of love is an invitation for us to set aside some of the things that we let stand in the way of how we love people. Like whether we like to admit it or not, like we let what our eyes can see and how we judge determine the degree to which we're willing to love and care for another person. And this is true all throughout scripture that God's love doesn't work that way. And so I think that that's an important call for us in this season to consider how how's my love like how Mm -hmm. am i mirroring and reflecting the love of god that we see so beautifully portrayed in this story yeah yeah who else did you mention kings was one Kings. Oh, right. I love these guys. These are actually my favorite character in the whole Jesus (laughs) story so this is this is interesting because you know if you've ever had your kids do a nativity play or something like that we tend to just think like kings yeah mm-hmm. royalty yeah. first of all they weren't kings no so it's quite different actually <laughs> yeah yeah they actually were magi um wise men is too vague uh, magi is is what they were and actually it was used i have some notes i i did that a while ago i did a teaching on this and it's and it's always just been on my brain like i love these guys so the term magi was originally used in early records to refer to a priestly group of people in ancient persia um, and they were leading figures in the religious court life um, and of their country of origin. And they would use all kinds of scientific, like astrology stuff, diplomatic stuff, religious stuff, um, as a means to understand and present future life. And so oftentimes what would happen is that um, kings, like, no, like royalty, would have this people group. Like you didn't become magi. You were born into the magi. So it wasn't like you were anointed. Now you are officially magi. You, you were, it was your bloodline. It was who you were. It was a people group. And so they would have these people group who, as, as, as people that, would, that these kings would then um, ask and talk to and, and like get wisdom from, mm. because they knew that one of their, the things that they would do is they would look to the stars, that they would, they would learn things. And at that time, they believed that, that by looking at the stars, you could read the future. You could see what was going yeah. on. There was wisdom in that. Mm. And so these guys, they would, they would do this. But, um, and actually, the first time you hear them is all the way back in Daniel. I'm not going to go too far back. But the interesting thing here is that this group of magi, when Daniel... Same Daniel in the lion's den, when he, when he, uh, the king placed him actually over top of this people group. And as, as somebody who was a Jesus follower, you just wonder if Daniel talked about the coming Messiah all the way to the point where Josephus even talks about the role of these guys. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you hear about these different things and the role of the Magi was actually to go and to anoint future kings. It was what their role was. And when they would go, they would bring treasures. Now, nativity scenes, we put three wise, three wise men there, but nowhere in Scripture does it say three. In fact, what Josephus, the historians, talks about is probably um, there was far more than that. Um, they would come with armed guards. They would come with all these treasures. And um, 
uh, Josephus said this. He said, basically, in ancient historian, he writes that these particular types of trips, listen, they could have been as many as 10,000 armed guards with the, the Magi. Um, and then, but probably because of the tension in, in, in Jerusalem and Bethlehem at the time, there probably wasn't 10,000, but there would have for sure been over a thousand people, which is why it's interesting. Later you see that in, in Matthew two, it says Herod was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. Hmm. They're not all going to be disturbed if it's three old guys riding in on a cam on camels yeah, with tea towels on the head. Exactly. <laughs> but we're talking about like, like a force of people and they, the reason that they were there was to anoint a future king. It, mm. it was, it was why they had come, which is why Herod was freaked out because he yeah. knew what the Magi's job was. So these guys talk about preparation. For generations of their life, they've been looking and waiting and wondering and watching when the Messiah would come, yeah. mm -hmm. knowing this was going to be handed down. And they would pass on this story from generation to generation to generation. So I think one of the reasons that I love so much about this is because those of us that are Jesus followers who, who did believe um, in, in this time that believed the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the Simeons, the Annas, they were waiting for these moments. But even though even the pagans, even the people that didn't believe in this, he used culture to proclaim mm. his, his coming son by, by sending the Magi yeah. to them. So I, I, to me, I love it because it's these guys that didn't even realize what a huge part of the story they were, yeah. and God was using them to tell his story. And you've got this radical inclusivity again. Yeah. I mean, because today, I guess this would be the equivalent of like, um, I don't know, like... Like the Magi today. Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying to think. I can't I can't illustrate it exactly without it breaking down. But like, oh yeah, we we're praying about like who our next pastor should be as a church or something. Yeah, we're and we're like, not, by the way. But no, we're not. But yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like, oh, this uh, sheikh who's like actually one of the like philosopher imams from Iran. Right. Like he's come to pay deference. Right. Or to something, and you're just yeah. like, wait, what? why? Yeah, you know, and it, it, you know, this not like pluralism or anything. Like God can affirm something and use people wherever mm -hmm. He wants. Mm -hmm. But to pick, I don't know, because I mean, you have shepherds come and they bring friends. Like lots of people come to honor Jesus at His birth, and the major is probably a bit later. Mm -hmm. You know, Mary and Joseph probably like, oh, that died down. Okay, we'll get on with like, you know, phase two now. Mm -hmm. And then there's a knock at the door. I'm not expecting to, you know, find this. Um. But there is a sense in the way the story is told is the climax of like, how is earth going to honor? Mm -hmm. And it comes from this radically like outsider group. Again. Right. Mm. It's so crazy. And really it comes down to the, you know, why they came or, or like how they came and all those things. And we could talk about forever, the star. We could talk about mm -hmm. why, like all these different tradition versus truth or like stories that we've been passed down versus actually probably what happened. And those are fun to talk about. But I think the reason the Magi came is what we kind of focus, what I, what I want to focus on just for a moment. And the reason they came is number one is they brought their very best. They, they brought their very best, best to Jesus. They stopped everything and they traveled 900 miles. Um, to worship him, and and they recognized his authority, mm -hmm. and so these guys who are a separate people group of a separate even culture and everything stopped what they were doing to come and to love yeah. to demonstrate that yeah. love to this to this child. And there's overtones in it of God just orchestrating something that's so far outside Mary and Joseph's control, for example. Mm -hmm. And God said, "Hey, I'm going to do this cool thing with you," you know. And yeah, it starts with a bang and it's pretty crazy, but, you know, sleep deprived six months in, you mm -hmm. know, with a, with a baby, you, 
I don't know, but you know, there's got to be questions yeah. in their minds. Like, where's this going? What's this about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for God to so profoundly yeah. be like, yeah, this is the thing. Like, yeah. This is it. I'm doing this. You guys are yeah. like, on track. And then another overtone is just that God wants to love his son. Mm. Yep. Yeah. God wants to honor Jesus. Like yep. he wants to send people to honor Jesus because yep. Jesus is worthy of honoring. Mm. And so it's, good. it's not all just about communicating to the world as right. well. Yeah. So yeah, there's all these layers, but you just see God, how he's orchestrating things. He's just this fountainhead mm. of like all of these interactions lead to people walking away, just feeling like filled. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, so it, good amazing effect god's having yeah. across all these different groups of people mm. so oh go ahead no, no go ahead i was going to change <laughs> subjects so you go ahead okay oh, so just to clarify we've got wise men magi but we do also have some kings in the story that i don't think we like there's an interesting juxtaposition happening of like herod uh-huh. and then jesus being anointed as yeah. king by these magi yeah. and so i think it'd be fun to maybe just talk about that and kind of like the conflict that exists in like this king in a trough somewhere out somewhere where all these people are coming to honor and then i feel like you've got herod kind of freaking out and being like what is this all about and feeling very threatened and all of this stuff i mean this is one that does parallel today Mm -hmm. like you know the dalai lama dying Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. the chinese feeling really threatened that the nepalese are not listening to them and so they just banned reincarnation unless you have a permit. Wow. <laughs> right? Is there like a so reincarnation just, permit department? Yeah. You, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> so it is, but like you're saying, it's this like yeah. feeling threatened, um, that kind of doubt of your own position. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah, the, yeah, the way intense. people respond when they're trying to cling to authority and power yes. that isn't, grounded in something else mm. like I think they go is, on the defensive as like Herod does for sure and I think this is part of some of the culture that we just missed I think there's so much honor shame here and we just don't we don't necessarily look at it through those eyes but if you think about somebody like Herod he had to feel really threatened mm-hmm. like like to the point that he had all children all boys under the age of two killed talk about control talk like yeah. like, <laughs> like to, to secure his like the, the feeling of a baby threatening you in your position to, that's that's a level of tension of honor shame that we actually don't have a lot of filters to look yeah. at it mm-hmm. through well especially because herod had failed in yeah. a, in a few posts um quite cataclysmically yeah so in his relationship with rome this was very much like his last chance mm. and so he's trying to rule a people group who fundamentally do not want to be roman yeah and so there's a lot on the line for him yeah. You know, the lot that stacks up. You know, you hear that passage and the government will be on his shoulders. It, it's like it started that way and it ended that way. Like there was no, like it was always, even though he came to bring, to fulfill the law and the prophets, he came as the Messiah to save. He was thrust into a cultural tension with the government that mm-hmm. I don't like, he never, he never. I don't think he ever wanted he never wanted to fight them like he was just coming to bring to bring a saving moment to bring his to bring salvation and yet it was thrust upon him this tension the government being on his shoulders mm. over and over. maybe that's not even the right 
def- yeah. uh, right interpretation of that prophecy. But it just came to my mind as I was thinking that the, he was born into that, mm. and it's what he lived yeah. his whole life. This tension. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these layers to it, and the mm-hmm. way that that just naturally works its way out in the midst of someone living a life where he just keeps giving away in risky ways. Right. And then noticing, I, I think in Herod, but also Pontius Pilate, mm. as just like people who tried to control the risk. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then God's the only one who's fundamentally got power mm. and he gives it away. Right. It keeps giving it away. Yeah. So again, I think to connect this to our theme of love is I don't think it's too much to say that the radical nature of God's love will kind of chip away at some of the paradigms and the structures that we create in and of ourselves because they give us a sense of control. Like, I think actually in order to receive and to enter more fully into the love of God, we've got to be willing to see those structures for what they are. Maybe the false promises they hold out in front of us so that we can actually receive the gift that he has on offer. And yeah, I don't, I think I'm just now putting some of the pieces together of how uh, that juxtaposition between Herod and Jesus and Herod's response and Jesus being in a manger and how, how that calls us to enter into his love in a different way, to let go of control so that we can pick up love. Yeah. 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 It's not like a, here's some works you need to do, like Mm. fix your character, be a better person, be a nice human. So, you know, God will bless you this Christmas. Right. But to notice. Yeah. But this story challenges us like, yeah, we could head into this year still living as if the narrative meant that we should act like Herod Mm -hmm. and we'd be missing out. Yeah. Like we've been freed to actually encounter something completely right. different than that. Right. And I think there's so much power in story because you can connect with characters and it's important to find yourself in the story. And you, this is one of those moments where it's a bit haunting to realize, like, even as we're chatting, the ways that I show up in life more like Herod than anyone else in the mm. story. The way mm. I try and create my own structures of control and comfortability. And I think especially in a season like 2020, we're all yeah. guilty of that to we're some degree. For that, aren't we're we? trying to survive. Yeah. And so there's a part of that, like no judgment, but then the other part of it where we've got to recognize that there is something better on offer. Yeah. And the only way for us to step into that, and we use this word a lot around church is surrender. I think that's mm-hmm. the first step to accept whatever it is that God wants to usher us into. It's funny that we, we try to, I love that Shelby, but it's funny. We try to like control out of our own deficiencies. I feel. Oh yeah. It's like the things that I lack in or the things that I'm going to try to control most in. And yet when we talk about this idea of love, I mean, Jesus was the walking around living, breathing definition of love. And I, I think about the passage in first John, it says there's no fear in love, but Mm. perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so mm. we get this, this idea of if, if Jesus is that walking around definition of love and he is love incarnate, then, then that sort of perfect love that he is, that's going to be the only thing that's the antidote to the fear. Mm. That's the antidote to, to controlling out of our own deficiencies. It's the only thing that's going to keep us from trying to grasp on desperately to the ever-changing normals that we're currently right. in. Yeah. It's, it's the person of Jesus. It's love. And that's I think that for me is why it's one of the biggest celebrations of this time of the year is is recognizing that that word became flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus, who is love, came mm. for that 
but for our benefit, for that reason he right. came. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, you're both picking up on this theme of like, it's hard for love to get through to us in a way. And this is where I like thinking about the Advent themes and the order they should come in. I just did my nut in trying to like, well, should love come at the end? Like, doesn't <laughs> it all kind of climax in realizing you're loved? And that's definitely a dynamic. Yeah. But also like there's something about love that requires faith mm-hmm. and you, and you reach out and you risk something mm-hmm. yeah. upon being loved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's where it's interesting that the people in the story who probably walk away feeling the most loved, um, are the ones who were perpetually living in a state of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were people who just, they all they could do was cry out to God. And I think of the Beatitudes, mm. you know, like blessed are the poor. Yeah. You know, because they'll, they're the ones who will be met or the hungry, you know, mm. like they've, they've got an appetite for something here. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. And, and that faith gets expressed in the yeses they say to what God's doing in the story. Mm. That's good. And then you've got a Herod. Right. Who, yeah, and he just, yeah. No. So we have the shepherds. We have the Magi, we have the kings, but we have probably one of the most unsung heroes of the story, the little drummer boy. I'm kidding. <laughs> sorry, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say that or Frosty the Snowman or yeah. something. Like. <laughs> you got to remember that guy sitting there just beating away at his drum. And how did Mary in let him stay universe. there? The soundtrack to Advent. Yeah. Yeah. In another universe, we would have done a 10-minute deadpan like as if it's totally a thing. Yeah, it's and I would have like, looked everyone. at a couple of scripture passages about the little drummer yeah. boy. <laughs> Like what? First of all, why did people like Luke one ninety seven? Yeah, like, Mary would have never boy. allowed a little dude sitting in there beating a drum when a baby's trying. I mean, come no. anyway. Sorry. That's not going to help his sleep cycle. No <laughs> sleep cycle, eating cycle, all that's no. I wonder how Jesus' sleep cycle was. Rabbit trail on this moment. I want to. Uh, this is another podcast we need to talk about. And it's, and it's uh, if Jesus was without sin. Growing up as a little boy, you're telling me as a toddler, I have so many questions. As a toddler, he would run around, like every time his parents said, sit still, did he sit still? Like, like, or, or, and this, or is maybe every time you don't obey your parents, is that always sin? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I have so many questions. Hmm. Rabbit trail podcast, but Jesus is a toddler. That's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is fun. Yeah. I, so many of the interesting bits of incarnational theology get a great airing when you ask how did that work in baby yeah. Jesus or yes. toddler Jesus yes. or child Jesus. Yeah. It's yeah, really I mean, fun. yeah. It'd be fascinating. Anyway, another time. Anyway. But <laughs> no, what I was going to say though, but yes, we do have of, some other characters. One of the most unsung heroes, and this is for serious. One of the most unsung heroes, I think in the whole um, nativity story is Joseph. Yeah. Mm. And Mary. True. Yes. yes if we yes, have yes. time, we can talk about both. Yeah. But I think we tend I don't know, Mary's got the Magnificat, like yeah. she, right. her tend, voice yeah. is more prominent in the story, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. wonderful. And and there's a really rich portrayal of her. Yeah. But yeah, Joseph's like almost a background character. Yeah, and then he's quickly out of the story as he probably yep. passed away. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to brag, this is like one of my favorites. Then go. I, this is actually, got? it's one of my favorite things to do of like visit a church to yeah. preach sometimes. Yeah. And like, Oh, so we're going to do a character study of Joseph, and then you wait for everyone to find Genesis, and then be like, uh, "No, wrong end of the Bible." Yeah, <laughs> like the other Joseph. So what? Because yeah. no one ever studies him. Yeah, but he's yeah. this awesome, awesome guy. But the the most profound love moment um, 
I, well, there's a couple really for Mary and Joseph, but like, it's that question of like, why God, why did God choose these two humans? Mm. Of all the people on earth, he could mm. in, entrust his son to, for them to represent him as a parent. Like that is a profound choice because mm-hmm. God's not helicopter parenting them. Like there's, there's some angels show up at the beginning, but they don't keep like, no, like that's not how, yeah. he, like I don't want him to eat carrots. Like it's okay if he just eats the broccoli. You know, God's mm-hmm. just like, he's not getting involved all the time. He There's so much trust yeah. the father does here. Why choose them? And there's like a saying yes to what is godly and represents God's love in such profound ways. So we we have to do Mary's version of this as well. But mm-hmm. I just love Joseph. And effectively, you know, Mary's been found up the duff mm-hmm. and it doesn't look good. Mm-mm. So Joseph's got to be thinking like, well, okay, this is now like... Hold up. Mary was found what? Up the duff. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that yeah, means either. Just like any colloquialism <laughs> for like pregnant out of wedlock. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you asked just that whatever. question. I just I kept like, nodding what? my head like, yeah. okay. Uh, that sounds, yeah, that yeah, sounds just a all sorts of weird phrases. Yes. Wow. But, Go but ahead. It's, got, it's got the connotation of like, that's that just an ugly the, bad thing. That should be the title of yeah. this. Gotcha. Mary was found up the duff. <laughs> so, I can't even say that with a straight <laughs> <laughs> But it's, um, yeah, from Joseph's point of view, this is like financially hard on him and his family. It brings social stigma. Culturally, oh my gosh, yeah. Religious stigma, Mm -hmm. like of, of, you know, you must be sinners for this to have happened to you. And on a personal level, at the, I mean, with this sort of young love, like life breathing into a whole new chapter of both of their lives as they step into this Mm -hmm. adulthood together, with all of that hope to just feel utterly stabbed in the back by the Mm -hmm. person you were trusting the most. Yeah. You know, like everything screams like Joseph should be. (coughs) Bless you. Bless you. Allergic. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph should be feeling. um, Well, he, he's got to feel rejected, but now, and, and this is where I say, I say he's got to feel, but this is us projecting. This is where the story challenges us. Mm. I, would feel like I now want to go and reject in turn. Mm. Like I have to distance myself. I have to manage the risk. I have to um, avoid the fallout. Mm-hmm. I have to mitigate the hurt. Mm. You know, just like all of these strategies for me to um, try and do something to make the situation better. And that's where then we know the angel comes. And it's really easy to tell the story as like, yeah, so Joseph was probably feeling like, stabbed in the back and then the angel comes and says actually you haven't been stabbed in the back but that's not what's not how it goes down mm. actually the angel comes and says joseph's contemplating so he's like thoughtful he's not mm. knee-jerk reaction and the angel says don't be afraid to take mary so he sat there thinking can i really do it can that's i amazing. can i can i still take her to be my wife can i still trust her and the angel just has to come and say, like, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Do that thing you're thinking of. That's yeah, he's okay. not thinking, I'm out. This is like, this is yeah. over. This is done. And the angel's like, no, this is the right thing to do. He's he's actually probably dealing with, based on what the angel said, dealing with a little bit of fear of what yeah. will it look like if when yeah. I do take her as my wife. Like what sort of a yeah. human being yeah. has that within them? Yeah. Like, the only answer is someone who's head over heels in love and not head over and heels Hollywood infatuated, mm-hmm. but in love mm-hmm. with Mary. Mm-hmm. Like so, it just it answers the question for me. Like, why did God choose Joseph? Yeah. I I can't think of other Bible characters. Well, I mean, God keeps doing it, but mm-hmm. humans, yeah, right, but who, he... who act in such a profound way. Yeah, and I think it's profound because it connects the power of sacrifice with love. Right? We see this manifested yes. in Jesus's life, and that's why the cross is the climax of all of this because it's laying down your life for another. And in a lot of ways, that is what that decision that Joseph made meant. It was yeah. laying down his ideas. It was laying down status. It, it was the laying down of so many things for the sake of having a vision and trusting a vision that was bigger than what was right in front of him. And That's it's still cost him all those things. Oh yeah, totally. It's not like they go yeah. away, but it's like he was able to then anchor himself to something that was able to transcend and persevere through all of that. Yeah. And that's why it's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And that lo- that love has that ability to overpower yes. all those other reactions, which many of them mm. are natural. They're grounded in like healthy emotional processing of mm-hmm. what's going on. But love has this power to transform yeah. what that then plays into. Mm. Yeah. I got to add this and I don't even know. I don't have enough time. We don't have enough time to get into the whole deep thing of this, but I just want to point this um, talking about love and the birth of Jesus, talking about love and the idea of who Joseph was, I w- the genealogy of, of, of the bloodline of Jesus's family in Matthew chapter one, I just always used to skip over that until I learned some of the most powerful truths of the story of Jesus. We talk about Joseph. I was always wondered why Joseph was the one that was, why the bloodline came through Joseph, who actually wasn't really the, the biological father of Jesus. He was actually Jesus's stepdad, if we're going to say it in those terms. And you look all the way back up this trail, there's women in this bloodline, there's prostitutes in this bloodline, there's murderers in this bloodline. It's not, it's not an awesome bloodline and just watching like if you watch the crown or anything like that you mm-hmm. the bloodline is so important and yet i think I, I look back through this and i see the love that the father has for us and that the son jesus came through a bloodline full of outcast and broken and hurting people yeah the fringes and the edges and then there was jesus yeah. and so none of us um, are, are outside of his love that he has for us. Even Jesus himself listed in this bloodline as technically a stepson. Like that's that's just outcast stuff. That's fringes stuff. And mm-hmm. Jesus saying, no, that's... And, and the story that God wrote in preparation for Jesus coming is one of using, using broken people yeah. to bring about his will. Anyway. Mm, the word that I think about... That's coming up for me when you're using words like outcast and, you know, that kind of dirty genealogy is shame, right? This is an experience that so many of us are familiar with Mm -hmm. Um, and something I've heard a lot in the last couple of years that, that I think is really true is how shame keeps us. Uh, we think it keeps us safe in a sense, but it actually keeps us sick. Mm. And I think about how we're talking about love and love really is the only thing strong enough to hold our hand and walk us out of shame. Mm-hmm. And I think the power of Jesus 
uh, of God, including all of those people in that genealogy and in, in this moment of his birth, all of those people coming together. It's again to say that what other people might want to say is shame or to make you feel shame about and, and mm-hmm. you not being to show up just as you are. God, again, he meets that with love and he tells a different story. Yeah. He says, no, that's yeah. that's not the identity over you. And yeah. I'm going to actually provide something powerful enough to lead you out of that place. Oh, so cool. So good. Love that. Do we have time to talk about Mary a little bit? Yeah, we, we can't leave Mary out. Right. For sure. I guess <laughs> so, she's right. Yeah. I was just looking it up, actually, because I was thinking how for all of these people, you know, they were on the fringes, but they also lived at a time when Israel was, um, you know, under subjugation by the Romans and like their, their idea of God's blessing was so bound up with them having civil autonomy. Mm. So the fact they didn't have it, it just put this question in their mind, like, is this like the time when we went into exile in Babylon? Like, is God just saying, no, enough? Like, you just need to go sit on the naughty step kind of thing. You know, like, is that what's going on? Like, is that the time we're in? Like, God seems silent. And yeah, there's Pharisees and people who are, like, finding an outlet for their their zeal and their faith. Mm-hmm. But for the average people, they're just, like, they're on the sidelines. And so when the angel, I think it's in Luke. I can't find it now. I feel like I'm not making this up, though. But the angel comes, and then I think it says Mary wondered what sort of greeting this was. Yeah, I know, I know that's in there for sure. Right, and like it'd be so easy to think, <sighs> okay, like, it, well, like we said before, you know, like Jesus, like, hey, Jesus just walked in. Like, do you go hide or do you go run to him? Right. And so there's something about Mary, and and amaz- as we see her life play out as amazing of a woman of sacrifice and love and faith as she is she's still in a place of like uncertainty about her relationship with god who Mm -hmm. god wants to be to her and then when the angel says you're highly favored like Mm -hmm. you're you're someone god wants to bless you know can you like to have that tension at such of such a profound existential question of Mm -hmm. like what does god think of me to have the weight of that fall off you with a word from God. Mm. Like that is amazing. Yeah. And it's one of those things of like, you know, we all know like the Bible tells us God loves us. We can say it, we can affirm it over each other. But like this is such a hard thing to sink in with us oh, that yeah, God loves us. It. And that's so that's one of the really interesting things about Mary's story, especially, is just to I know to walk through her experience and realize that God isn't saying anything to her that he doesn't say to humankind. Hmm. You know, they doesn't say to you and me just to try to get through our thick skulls that God actually loves us. Hmm. Um, Cause I think Mary must experience such freedom in this moment. Hmm. Um, there's like a purity to it. Uh, but then her response, because we connected it with sacrifice and trust, you know, God basically says, yeah, I'm going to do something with you and everyone's going to think you're the worst person in the world, but, you know, you'll know it's okay. <laughs> yeah, Luke 1. And, and she's like, <clears throat> yeah, sure, whatever, whatever yeah. you want to do, God. Yeah. yeah. 
Luke mm-hmm. 1, 28 is where you were talking about. It's the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Yeah. Mm. But then, I, I, you know... She, and, and then says, don't be afraid. Right. And you talked about fear earlier, right? right. So there's this like... Right. Yeah. We got- and, I love, and I love Mary's song. You know, when she turns and she just exclaims these things, and oftentimes we read this and think, wow, that was really kind of poetic to come up with at the moment. But the beauty of this is that you see one that Mary, yes, she was a very young woman, but she was educated. Like every single one of her, the lines of this song are direct quotes from scripture. She's, she's quoting Psalm and Habakkuk and mm-hmm. Genesis and Exodus and Job and um, all the way through. These are, these are quotes of scripture that she's writing back and fulfilling the promises of God through it. Actually, N.T. Wright has this quote about it. I want to read this. It says, he's talking about Mary's song. Basically, this is how she responds once the angel comes to her. She said, it, N.T. Wright says this, it's the gospel before the gospel, a fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It's all about God and it's all about revolution. And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus, who's only just been conceived, not yet born, but who has made Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. Mm. The gospel Mm. before the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is the, to me, what I love about the connections you guys are making and what I think we need to hear is that this is the power of walking in the identity as a loved child of God. Because you're right, that, that lack of confidence that so many of us at different points in our life can struggle with believing that God really does see me and that he loves me. But Mary, uh oh. Okay. Okay, so I'll wrap with this. This will be my one this minute. This is her, this Shelby's minute. Because okay. I think this is this is big and incredible is when you start to walk in that truth, like Mary gets the word from the Lord and she sings this song out of that reality, out of that rightly postured identity and its power and its gospel and its transformation. And we can, we have the capacity for that too. Right. And I think that that I'm finding even right now, my heart so encouraged by that truth of like when we're walking and, and yeah, just the identity that he gives to us, regardless of whether or not we deserve it as loved child of God, man, when we, when we're living in that, it's power. Yeah. It's so yeah. Good. I love that. All right, Weston. Got one minute? All right, here's one minute. I am going to end just thinking about Mary here. Um, John 1, 9 says, The light that gives light to all mankind was coming into the world. That's what we think about with Jesus. But don't think for a moment that this is just a one-time thing, the light coming into the world. The same light that burst onto the scene in Bethlehem is the same light that desperately wants to burst into our lives every single day. Jesus is the light that brings life. He's the light that reveals truth. He brings beauty for ashes. I just remember watching a sunrise. Just in one morning, I was just desperate for Jesus. And I was sitting there reading the scripture, and the sun came over the horizon and burst onto the scene. And everything that it touches just lit it up. And that's and, and, and it's almost like God just whispered in my ear, that's that's like the light that wants to burst into your heart. That's, that's the light coming into the dark places. Mm-hmm. Everything that it touches, it wants to reveal to bring hope, to bring life. And, and to me, that's what love is. That's the story of, from the beginning of time of God, God preparing in advance to send his son to be, to be that light. It's the light breaking through the darkness. Mm-hmm. But like Mary, and this is what I want to end on, the choice is this. Do we wait until after the breakthrough to magnify him, to, to accept that? Or do we magnify him? Do we glorify him? Do we love him? Do we accept what he has for us in the midst of all the tough stuff that we're going through. Yeah. 
my my last thought is it's kind of similar to something you were just saying, Shelby. But um, a- actually, Joseph's this great example of transformation. Mm. Like the the love empowers Joseph to overcome the yeah. pain of separation. Mm. Yeah, the shepherds are empowered to be transformed from people on the fringe to at the center of a community celebration that night. You know, mm. and just the. I, sometimes we feel like Christmas is this little couple of weeks of escapism we get once a year. But actually, it's like a fueling station. Yeah. Like Advent is a fueling station where we get to really try and process the reality of love again. Mm-hmm. And it empowers us to step differently into what's ahead. Yeah. And so it really is not just a, you know, come to Jesus, get a pat on the back, and then it's back off into the cold, hard world. Mm. But actually, the cold, hard world's going to be different. Yeah, and and that's where the, it connects to the hope that we talked about as well. Yeah, I love yeah. that. All right. Well, I hope you're enjoying Advent. I'm having a great time, and I think the next podcast, because they always come out on Friday, happens to be Christmas Day. Mm. Woo! And that'll be joy. So good. So we look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside at Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, Go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.